Hello and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. I'm James Dyer and this right here is our hat trick, our third instalment of the weekly dive into the world of cinematic television. On this week's show, we'll be talking about some interesting Netflix developments for gaming fans, telling you why Marshmallow should be very happy indeed, and yes, banging on about Bloody Bodyguard yet again, though I promise for the last time, at least for now. We will also be talking about the new season of American Horror Story, all-new Scandi crime drama Alex, and perhaps giving our first impressions of the return of a little-known show called Doctor Who. Joining me as ever are my equally square-eyed compatriots, Terry White, who has torn herself away from a steady diet of true crime documentaries about hardship and scholar in the north of England to be here today. How are you? <laughs> I don't know, feel poor, <laughs> alone, desperately sad. A bit I'm, like Stig of the Dump. I'm loving the donkey jacket. Well, you know, you know I like to take that with me everywhere I go. That and a racing pigeon. I do. Also with us is a confidant of the rich and famous, friend to the stars and name dropper without peer or shame, the one, the only, Mr Boyd Hilton. Hi. Hello. Met any new celebrity friends? I was hanging out week? with Jodie Whittaker oh, yesterday in Sheffield, obviously. We'll yes, get to that. We will. Yeah. Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> right. No. no, no, there isn't, because she's not here, clearly. Right, before we start on David Budd's latest exploits and the Bodyguard finale, which was very exciting, I think we should lay some overdue groundwork and give our listeners a little more information about our televisual backgrounds and Ooh. tastes. Uh, I have, of course, sprung this on you without yeah, any warning. Was, hold on. Was, yes. this on the, was this on the planning email? This is what is technically known as a curveball. Blimey. Um, because I have kind of sprung this on you, I will go first. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, and if you don't, then why not? At James C. Dyer, please follow me immediately. will know that I'm obsessed with The West Wing, which is my favourite TV show of all time. Also, things I like include... all Star Trek. I'm a Trekkie of long standing. Uh, in fact, all sci-fi I pretty much have a soft spot for, including sci-fi with Muppets. Uh, I'm looking at Farscape in particular. Wow. Uh, the Wire, Cracker, Battlestar Galactica, Deep Space Nine, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Shield. I think those are a few of the sort of headline ones for me. I don't like fun or no. enjoyment of any kind, no. so I do not enjoy comedy. You don't do comedy? No, I don't do comedy. I like Blackadder and Faulty Towers. So, yeah, he doesn't do comedy. Yeah, since, since, the late, since the early 80s. Yeah, well, no, Friends. I like Friends as well. In fact, friends. I'm kind of rewatching it at the moment. But okay. other than that, and with the single exception of The Good Place, which I believe starts again this week, yes. hooray, I don't do comedy. I just, it just doesn't sit right with me. I wow. don't like fun or yeah. happy people or smiling. At least you're self-aware. Yeah. That's, that's important, I think. But this is this is this is a. I, I do I, do comedy. That's, do you? What's yes. your favourite comedy? My one, well, my favourite show of all time is Seinfeld. Oh. Second is probably Kirby Enthusiasm, The Office, both American and British. Mm. Forty Towers, yeah. I mean, such I a list. range, Boyd. Such a, huge a range. range, but texture. Yeah. Texture, just I mean, texture at me. <laughs> it's worth pointing out that you watch basically every single. Thing yeah, that I, mean, I do love. I love the West Wing as well. I mean, I know you own the West Wing. You got me into the West Wing, did I? Yes. How? I you see, this is an actual true story. When I had first, when uh, when the West Wing first aired, my greatest shame, my secret shame, although not secret because I'm broadcasting it, is that I watched the pilot and was a bit meh. Which is insane because it's one of the greatest pilots yeah. of all time. And I didn't watch the next few episodes. And I am. I believe the term is obsessive-compulsive, in that I cannot watch a show if I've missed episodes. And we, you and I, went to the Oscar Moore film quiz oh and got chatting at the God. table. Your memory you mentioned incredible. that you had VHS, for it was many years ago, yes. uh, screeners of the first series of The West Wing. And wow. so you lent them all to me, thereby letting me catch up so I could continue to watch it. I mean, what an incredible 
memory that is. Yeah, oh, I feel oh, that's, yeah. that's great. That makes me feel a lot fantastic because you are absolutely effing <laughs> obsessed with it. Yes, but I loved it absolutely. I loved the West Wing every every minute of it when it went out. Um, I also love you know all the all the big ones, Breaking Bad. But I like a bit of Scandi Noir as well, which is mm. hence why I've chosen one uh, for us to review. Although probably anyone who's watched it today, yes, all that stuff. But Seinfeld is the greatest show of all time. I've seen the Seinfeld finale. I've watched that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the Australia. finale was very, very uh, controversial. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's some of the greatest moments. Frasier as well. Frasier, let's not forget Frasier, which is possibly theoretically about to be, to return. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. And recently celebrated its 25th anniversary. And did everyone read? I think it was Vanity Fair did one, did the kind of thing you did for the West Wing mm. in Pilot TV magazine. They did it for Frasier, and it's fantastic. Yes, Boyd is referring to my extensive 25,000-word oral yeah. history of the West Wing, a link to which can be found on my Twitter bio. <laughs> Terry, come on, hit us with it. What miserable, depressing, soul-sucking dramas <laughs> have you been watching recently? So, as you, as you rightly point out, I developed probably over the last 10 years or so a real obsession with police procedural dramas. And the particular kind of ultimate one, I think, in so many ways, is Law and Order special victims unit that me and a group of my friends who live all around the world I've got a best friend in LA a really close friend of mine in New York who I used to work with and we're all kind of educated intelligent women of a certain age and we are obsessed with SVU and I don't know if it's you know it's it's those primal fears as women that you're going to get attacked and clobbered over the head and all of those things play into it but they the formula appeals to me they always nearly always get their guy or if they don't there's always a resolution. There was famously one episode of SVU that ended as the foreman of the jury stood up and said, we find the defendant, and they ended it because they wanted to replicate, actually, how a lot of times the jury only sees part of the facts and it's really difficult to come to a verdict and you can't tell which way it's going to go. And they were trying to make something much more realistic. The fans were outraged, like livid, because there was no resolution. And without a resolution, what is the point of them existing? So, yeah, I really love that. But I suppose when I was younger, for me, telly was kind of a form of of massive escapism. Mm. So Friends was massive for me. Buffy, I mean, Buffy kind of (laughs) embodied for me everything that I wanted to be, but I wasn't as, like, a ugly like shy chronically shy girl on a council estate i kind of looked at sarah michelle geller as buffy and was like when i grow up that's where i want to be i still feel like that um and now you are you've achieved it oh, now you're thanks. buffy yeah you're the buffy um, of uh I think the faith is more of, i think i think of her more as a face faith, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe not, not much so much more of a bitch yeah, yeah i get it <laughs> and a dark slayer i get more it than... <laughs> um but as you rightly point out um i've developed a love for the kind of darker side as my own life has become less dark maybe <laughs> and you know this is england I love the film, but this TV was some of the best TV I think Channel 4 has ever done. I love a good kind of thriller, so Bodyguard, as we're going to talk about quite soon, has been right up there for me. I've fallen back in love with British TV recently, and I think for a long time I was kind of always prioritising American telly because mm. of the production values and because of the drama and the cinematic scope of it. And I'm really kind of, as a British, proud British woman, without wanting to sound all Brexit is Brexit, um, dead excited by what's going on in mm. British telly at the moment. Well, that's full farage, but sure. <laughs> uh, no, I know what you mean. Like, I've always sort of looked to America for entertainment, and I think I've overlooked a lot of great British mm. television. And, and so not, not like classic British television, but certainly over the last sort of five or ten years, like the, people have been so focused on the kind of golden age in America mm. that we haven't 
always noticed what's on our yeah, you know, back door, you know, from your Luthers to whatever else. You and know, there's a slight hipster, I think, feeling like, you know, America's what TV yeah. works out. Oh, my, I love Breaking Bad on the Wire. I don't bother even watching BBC and The Bodyguard. That kind of hipsterism, yeah. I find it deeply offensive. Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's demented. There's yeah. so much good stuff. I'm, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a convert. In fact, weirdly, I'm, I'm, using, uh, I'm using you, Boyd, as a, a gateway to British TV. Because, Use my gateway. Yeah, you're my dealer. You're my, yeah, my yeah. British dealer. Can I yeah. use your gateway? Of course, yeah. My gateway's always open to all comers. To who? Everybody. Everyone who wants more quality British TV drama, yeah. Maybe you should be more discerning, Boyd. I'm just saying. <laughs> I've never been discerning. You want to make it open no. for everybody? It's, it's my USP. Speaking Boyd, of slightly undiscerning. USP. Speaking of quality British <laughs> drama, we should, of course, talk about the thing that everyone's been talking about. The finale of Bodyguard. Now, we have to walk the thin blue line of spoilers at the moment without ruining it for people since it only aired, what, like two days ago, so... But I um, think but, but I think it's impossible to talk about the finale, right, without talking about certain mm. reveals. Okay, okay, so at this point, do we say massive... Should we try an experiment? Should we say, John, in the description, yeah. we'll put the timestamp where we start talking about Bodyguard spoilers and the yeah. timestamp where we stop. And so if you have not seen the finale of Bodyguard, skip to... Whatever the timestamp yes. is in the description. Yes. Okay. Ready? Spoiler. So spoiler gloves are coming off. They're coming <laughs> off. Da, da. They're off. What do we think? I was okay. I am a bit angry. Um, <laughs> you be, shock me. You'll be surprised. So there were so many twists it could have been, and then the twist, of course, was that it wasn't that much of a twist. Ooh. I think the accusations of Islamophobia. I think there is some. I think there's one thing which is a slight overreaction by everybody, which always happens because people take something, a germ of something, and blow it up. Um, excuse the pun. But um, <laughs> I do genuinely think that there is something problematic about it being Nadia and people have said oh well she wasn't the subservient woman in the hijab that was originally Mm. portrayed so in many respects that's subverting the kind of view of of women in Islam she was an engineer she was an engineer she was was an engineer so you know how is that problematic for for me I was I was still expecting it to be some kind of political subterfuge or there being much more of a not prosaic, but a much more traditional British thriller kind of plot twist at the heart of it. And I think having it as her, I felt slightly let down. I don't think having her be super smart and be the leader of this terror cell actually then kind of makes it okay. Because I think it's still a very problematic depiction of a British Muslim woman. And I still think the Home Secretary is alive. So, wow. private wow. funeral. Yeah. Who saw the body? <laughs> yeah. I want a body. Yeah. If you haven't seen the body, don't tell me she's dead. She ain't dead. And there was a shadowy figure in in the in the window. Yeah, who's 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 in the window? Yeah, who's in the window? He's definitely. I mean, without doubt, he is the Jed Mercurio as the creator and writer of the show is. Deliberately, all of that is deliberate. There's no, it's no accident we didn't see the. F- I mean, partly the funeral would have been expensive to film. I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of extras. BBC budgets. Yeah, but equally, he's definitely playing with us and toying with us because all the way through Line of Duty, you think about Line of Duty, he's always brought characters back suddenly mm. without you know, and that, that excitement. He's dispensed with characters, you know, at the end of the first episode, big star names. He loves playing with mm. the way people consume drama and I love mm. that about him and I think and I, as I always bang on about he takes everything to the limit in terms of plotting and it, it's always stretching credulity and this did that as well I think that the Muslim issue is really interesting because she, she's the actress who played that character wrote a really interesting piece herself I saw that. saying she was very proud yeah. to have done that role and that for her the key was the way it did do the bait and switch so initially you thought she was the subservient figure and for her that was key and she initially didn't want to take the role and her yeah. agent said this is Jen Mercurio he'll flip it and sure he did flip it and that was big but you're still a terrorist you're still a terrorist 
My just thing, a just a really yeah. smart terrorist who's not being manipulated by right. men. I mean, I would say there was another there was another Muslim character, the guy who died in the who with the suitcase, who was not a terrorist mm. and was you know a kind of decent guy, who they assumed might have been a terrorist and wasn't. And I think I think we have to be. I think Jeb Mercurio would say he has to be allowed to depict an Islamist terrorist. He has to be. That has to be. You know, in this world we live in at the moment, it's a reality of a situation, and it's not the only Muslim character in the show. It's a Muslim character in the show, and he has to be allowed to portray I'm, that character. I'm as not terrorist. saying he shouldn't be able to. I'm saying I, as a viewer, was disappointed sure. that it felt like a really obvious conclusion. So I felt there's something much more interesting in in not having right. but equally, the, the Muslim woman sure. be the person responsible. Actually, having the white British guy over there who's just a scheming, manipulative dickhead. Yeah, that for me is much more interesting. Right. And I just I don't know. In, I I'm not a Muslim woman, obviously. No, I, neither am I. And and but I think and I I read that interview that you're talking mm. about in Stylist. Yeah. But also there are other Muslim women oh, sure. who feel that that was yeah. a problematic representation. And I don't think it's about being allowed. I think that kind of you know when people say oh you shouldn't be allowed to do this or be allowed to do that. I think it's as a writer understanding kind of that the plot lines you have and especially when it's hot button topics like this that there are kind of consequences of that that there are Mm. ways that people interpret those kind of things there are beliefs that are reinforced I suppose and there's one hand which is responsibility and I don't think there's a problem with responsibility I think there is no problems of of taste or, or anything odd like that which could be dangerous in any way I suppose from a pure narrative perspective, I was hoping for more. Okay, I mean, he also, of course, had the, it was the fact that there were there was the bent copper figure as well, yeah, and there was the gangster figure. So it was a kind of complex interweaving. I quite like, and I and I enjoyed the fact that he was built, building us up all the way, leading us up the garden path of there being this big political conspiracy that wasn't really what we thought it was. And he did that a few times all the way through. So I think, and in the end, I think, he, you know, yeah, I, you know, I feel that he's not thinking about maybe the impact that, you know, this character will have, as you say, on young Muslim women. And, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to hear him address that issue and see what he says about that, that's all I'd say, yeah. Well, speaking of someone with no sensitivity whatsoever, <laughs> my main issue with this episode, and I really, really enjoyed it, was that the first half was rock solid. The bit when he's wearing the suicide vest is so tense, yeah. and it's so well done. If a little bit ridiculous, where, and I've forgotten her name, the female cop, where she's being incredibly stroppy. Well, you could have fucking told her. She didn't fucking tell her, did you? Fuck you. You know, it's like, be a little <laughs> professional. The guy's got a bomb strapped to him. Um, you know, all that was great, and I didn't even mind the fact that he clearly hid the compromat in his boiler, not in the garden, mm-hmm. and we didn't see But it's fine, it's fine whatever and when did he have time was to set the most trap was that just an error no I think it was just supposed to because he would have set the trap in the ceiling as well presumably all this stuff just happened off camera yeah. at some point yeah. my problem was it felt like the, all of this was really good and well paced and then the last 20 minutes was massively rushed to me mm-hmm. and it felt that the whole thing played out very implausibly like for reasons known only to Jed Mercurio everyone becomes alarmingly confessional for no real reason they're mm-hmm. like oh look you've caught me in an incredibly you know circumstantial situation that I could easily get out of I tell you what I will confess to everything in excruciating <laughs> detail while twirling my imaginary moustache especially like your, your your terrorist woman she says there they've got nothing on her they have no evidence whatsoever and suddenly yes. she basically goes Yes, Mr. Bond. I am the architect of all your pain. They've got her DNA yes. on the bomb stuff, haven't they? They've got a. That's pretty oh, big. Well, they have specialist teams who spend 
hours and days using very dodgy means to get people to confess oh, of course. Sure. and the code of silence yeah. that I believe most terrorists kind of sign up to is quite robust that for me I felt exactly the same I was like hang yeah. on if I'm if I'm Nadia and I've spent this long getting away with it I should say they may have a DNA but I don't think your first instinct as a as a terrorist who's pulled off an audacious attack is to immediately most fully preschoolers learn the basic <laughs> fundamentals of when caught doing something you go what me but I think the psych- me? no but I think he was getting at a psychological point here I think she was proud of it she was proud of the fact you know the whole I am an engineer bit that everyone's bit, quite rightly is quite funny I think she's like right she's throwing off the shackles I, I'm going to, s- to explain how strong and powerful and I'm the, and, and she's loving it I think that was the psychological explanation I know I know it's borderline even his boss though his boss the police officer she, all she's done is been caught outside a garage with a slightly dodgy bloke oh she was banged to rights oh but it's only his word and he's like frankly been sort of sold as being a bit unstable I reckon she could have got out of it totally. I would have got out of it <laughs> totally yeah I found there were moments of implausibility and I think we've talked about on previous yeah. episodes of this very podcast <laughs> that maybe with the show you kind of have to let those things Absolutely, go a little yeah. bit because yeah. it stretches yeah. the edges but I, I was reading amazingly the numbers that turned in was it like 11, 12 for the live Incredible. TV another 11 or 12 million attempting to access it on iPlayer and it was that sense again of like the whole nation turning Mm. in for something and I forgot how much I missed that communal experience (laughs) Mm, and people fighting about it and people fighting about spoilers you and I James had a bit of a ding dong (laughs) you were wrong but it's fine about spoilers the other day and when you can talk about things and when you can't but it really kind of it showed me that even yeah. in this age of on-demand, watch anything, anytime, that we all still really want to watch it mm. together, right? Even if we're not physically together. And I think, yeah, it's, it's single-handedly um, reminded everyone that linear TV and that communal act of watching TV once a week in a serial way works better than, in fact, the kind mm. of dropping of the whole thing in one go, the binge thing. The binge thing is a very solitary thing, I think, you know, mm. you know, and... This has just been so much more exciting and fun. And I feel there's a weird clash of technologies. This is what's highlighted for me because social media enables us all to talk about this thing, you know, even given spoilers or avoiding spoilers. We're still all talking about it together on social media. And yet, you know, Netflix wants us to think, oh, no, we should all kind of watch in our own time mm. this new 10-part series. And you can't really chat about that together on social media. So there's the kind of Netflix technology of streaming and banging something out all in one go, fighting against the way that social media is enabling us to enjoy mm. the bodyguard more. And I feel at the moment that other side's slightly winning. I feel like I don't. I, I feel now like this will never die. I think there'll always be the two things. There'll always be a great appetite for a weekly thing. Remember, you know, Broadchurch was maybe the last huge big thing. Yeah. That yeah. was a massive pop culture phenomenon. And you can never have that all in one go, you know, no. binge all in one go and have the same impact. Same with this. Jed McCurry is never going to allow them to drop his series all in one go. He, you know, he loves the fact that it's on the BBC. He loves the fact that it's a weekly treat. And I think this, you know, I think that will carry on forever. Right. Time is getting away from us. So I'm going to say, right, this is, this is, the, this is your beep. That is your spoiler-free tone. So we are now officially spoiler-free. Everything's safe. Take off the ear guards, whatever it is. We have horribly overrun. So we're going to skip through news quite Briefly, I've got a couple of things I wanted to mention. Netflix uh, may be doing a Diablo TV series, an animated series based on Blizzard's uh, video games. This is written by screenwriter Andrew Cosby, who's done the Hellboy, appropriately, the Hellboy remake. No idea what this will be like, since they're not what I would prescribe as plot-heavy games. If no one's ever played them, it's essentially about Diablo, the Lord of Terror, trying to rain fire onto the earth, and <sighs> angels and stuff from the high heavens trying to stop him. <laughs> heavy sigh! Yeah. Oh. The actual live heavy no, sigh. it's interesting, because if this actually plays like the game, it would just be someone wandering the countryside, killing things in search of fat loot. And uh, I think that's a good basis for a TV series. I feel like we just had... 
three minutes of pure, unfiltered James Dyer brain splattered yeah. all yeah. over the microphone. I haven't even started talking about The Witcher yet, which, of course, is the other game series that Netflix are working on, starring uh, Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia, the White Wolf. Uh, <laughs> Which is very exciting. Very exciting. I really, really want to see that. And I plan to go on set as soon as they will let me. So is that what he's given up Superman for? And who wouldn't? Who yeah. wouldn't? Yeah, fair enough. I think that's, that's a fair comment. Also, Marshmallows can rejoice because Veronica Mars is officially returning to Hulu in an eight-part limited series. Uh, Rob Thomas has been talking about this. It will follow on from, obviously, the TV series of Your and the movie that came out a couple of years ago as well. And apparently it's going to be one case over eight episodes and it will be noir-tacular, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Marshmallows, of course, being Veronica Mars fans, if, yes. if that wasn't yes. obvious. <laughs> that is we understood. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is good. This, um, I'm, I'm very excited about good. this, so that's the thing. People. I'm excited by the High Fidelity TV series, oh, yeah. which apparently Zoe Kravitz is not starring in, which is kind of mad, mad when you think about the film, which obviously had Lisa Bonet, her mother in it, who's obviously one of his conquests, <laughs> shall we say. I loved the film much more than I loved the book, actually. And obviously, I know there's some differences, not least the country it's set in. I actually think it worked brilliantly as a TV series. Obviously, who would be in it is the big thing because John Cusack was just so... Even when he's being a proper dick, he's so charming and, yeah. and likeable and affable in that film. So it'd be interesting to see who ends up taking it. But that's the one. Yeah, Pete Cusack. Okay, I love that film. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was fantastic. They yeah, said Pete Cusack. I was like, no, is Pete. that John's brother? Pete Cusack. It's the son. Call me Pete Cusack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Pete. Um, I'm just going to talk about Doctor Who for a bit. Of course Forgive you are. Me. We were going to run this in reviews, but let's do it now. No, I thought. It's both no, I think news it's news and reviews. I think it's news because I can't fully review it. I can't give anything yeah. away, any so, detail away. What's no, this? It's heavily embargoed. Doctor, Doctor Who. So you went to Sheffield, yes, as people do, yes, to go and see the first episode yes. of the new Doctor Who. And um, it, the reason they had the screening in Sheffield is because the first episode is set in Sheffield. So the people, the gang, we've all seen pictures of the gang played by Tosin Cole, Bradley Walsh, and Mandip Gill. This is the new companions. They all live in Sheffield, yeah. and. If you're wondering why she touches down in Sheffield, you just have to go with it. Doctor Who, that, do, the Doctor. So um, I, I'm not going to go into any... I'm not going to spoil it in any way. I'm not even going to go into any plot apart from saying that that this 65-minute episode, so this is an extended episode, establishes these characters, the links between them. There are links between them, mm. um, which haven't been made clear yet. Um, we see the Doctor arriving and meeting them all, and it's all about how she meets them, um, how they you know, how they interact, what they're dealing with. They're dealing with an alien enemy, and I'm going to say even more than that. All I wanted to say was that, I mean, obviously I loved it. I'm a huge Whovian, in case you didn't know, and I think all the pre all the advanced publicity, including our interview with Jodie Whittaker in the next issue of Pilot TV magazine, out next week, I think. Yes, Indeed. she talked about all how cinematic it was, how it was a big, hard kind of reboot in terms of the tone of it. It's like a, got a much more positive tone. You know, I think when the, the last Doctor started, he was kind of quite grumpy for a while, and I think you know this. It, she's like so energetic, so positive a figure that's absolutely happened and it is as cinematic as they claim and often, you know, when people, showrunners say oh, I'm going to make this like a film and it's what everyone says now, every showrunner says about their new TV thing, whether it's for Netflix or BBC or whatever, it's cinematic, this actually does look beautiful, so it's shot on a wider screen format um, they're shot using different lenses it's shot, basically it looks like it's shot on film mm. you know, which half the films aren't even shot on film these days <laughs> so it just has that kind of crackly sparkly edge to it that really adds to it. So it does feel like a kind of little mini feature you're watching. And I thought it was 
considering how much work it had to do, introduce all of these yeah. characters and have an, a compelling storyline of its own, it just worked really well. And what the surprising thing was, it's really, really emotional and moving as well, which to incorporate that into the first episode really powerfully, that was my, I think that was the most surprising unexpected element of it for me. Can I ask you two questions yes. without us getting into spoiler territory? Yes. So you know I'm a massive Doctor Who fan, yeah. particularly the 10th Doctor, i.e. the only Doctor that matters. <laughs> yeah. um, so I have two questions, one of which is about the companions. So obviously you know I had a bit of a freak out when yeah. I heard there was going to be three, three them, because yeah. I'm very much somebody who believes in the intimacy of the, for example, Tenth Doctor and Rose relationship, yeah. two people, a, a bond that no others can understand or replicate. And my second question, so do the three um, companions work? And my second question is, I think each Doctor has a slightly different take on the Doctor. So there's yeah. the, the level of wit versus humanity versus darkness, versus, and each person brings their own little bit of magic. Could you characterise what kind of iteration of the Doctor Jodie? Yeah, I, I would. I would characterise, and this is going to sound really lame and slightly new age, as positivity. There's a real oh. sorry, yeah. There's a real like I'm in a, in a good way though. She's like she's kind of trying to find ways of. She's like gathering this gang together, and she's like we're going to have fun. So I think it's more fun and po- fun. Positive in a fun and amusing and witty and sharp way, Ooh. not a flabby, so you not know, indulgent way. Doctor, not no, 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 tenth. no. She's like, she's used the word fizzy in in our interview with her, and it, that is, it kind of is the best word. She's like fizzing with energy. She's energetic. She's running around. She's kind of an action hero as oh. well. With that one, there's a big action sequence that she does brilliantly. So it's got all of that to it, rather than a kind of. And she's equally, you know, and she's kind of working out herself because she has just, you know, she's just just changed into into who yeah. she is now. She's working out herself who she is partly as well. But after five minutes, honestly, you're like, oh my god, she is the Doctor. She absolutely, yeah. she's she does that thing where you completely forget after five minutes that she hasn't always been the yeah. Doctor, which is pretty miraculous. And that's down, you know, to the writing and her yeah. absolutely incredible performance. She's unbelievably likable. Mm. She's you want to just want to spend time with her. And that the brilliant thing about the three companions is same thing. They're all really likable in different ways. Mm. And they're not they're not kind of they're not they're, they've got little sharp edges to them. Mm. They don't all get on initially. There's conflict between them, which is what makes it interesting. And they don't all have a huge amount to do necessarily in that first episode, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how they link together for the rest of it. And I think the the kind of the hidden weapon of it is Bradley Walsh, funnily enough. Really? Yes, amazingly. And, you know, people like slagging off the casting of Bradley Walsh because he is a showbiz entertainer, but it all goes back to Law & Order, the UK Law & Order that Chris Chibnall show ran. It was actually a really good show here and that Bradley Walsh was good in that show and that's that's where the relationship goes back to. And Bradley Walsh is a, gr- is a good actor. He Honestly, he's really good. You see, it? now I'm excited. I, re- I, was, I was excited, but I had so <coughs> many concerns yeah. and I have loved some Doctors and hated some Doctors. So Matt, Smith Doctor, for example, I could not get on with for for any all the money yeah. in the world. Yeah. But now I'm excited. I feel she's this is such a good comparison. I like Maximus Doctor, but I know what I had yeah. similar issues at various points. She's like a more grounded version of that. Ooh. You know how he's kind of the flying whimsy. On, I the, hate whim, the whimsy. Right. She's a non-whimsical version of that. Ooh. That's kind of what she I is. I'm not whimsy with my doctor. No. Do you know he, what I mean? He really so and in funny Hipster enough, Mr. Doctor. Slightly, what yeah. The problem it's with that a, is. Yeah, it's a slightly unwhimsical version. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, so she's not eating fish fingers and custard, but she does want to have a full English breakfast because she's hungry. It's like that's the kind of difference. That's an amazing metaphor. <laughs> yeah. 
genuinely... Yeah. I thought it was an important moment. ...didn't understand a single word <laughs> that was... Is this what it's like just being around me generally? I mean, yes. yes. When I'm banging on the about Star Trek. The fact that you're not <laughs> interested in who in any way is so weird. I don't it's get so it. It's so counterintuitive. Is it because it's not American? I mean, I just, it feels like... Um, my, my, my overwhelming feeling of Doctor Who and... and, and prejudice. I watched yeah. it back in the day and I watched the first handful of Christopher Eccleston ones and I think I watched the one with Kylie in it and I watched the first Peter Capaldi one and it just feels a little bit... And bear in mind I watched Farscape. It feels a little bit like most of the sets are made of cardboard. Oh, and that's such not a, true anymore. It's that's just, been true for about 20 it years. It just doesn't... I just doesn't... Now, can't be you've interested. got to watch it now because now it looks beautiful and the effects are... Fantastic. No, I've, I've said this. I will now. watch. I will watch the first at least one of the Jodie Whittaker ones to see how I feel, though it being set in Sheffield does not augur well. Um, hey, Sheffield looks great, honestly. Yeah. But, but Will, I'm going to steal myself. You see what I did there? Um, for the, uh, yes, that's, uh, that's, that's an industry joke for you. Um, yeah, no, I will watch the first one and we will we will reconvene and I will see if I, I can understand it. I think there is so much in it for you, James. I really, really do. Yeah. But I can see why Chris Freckleston, Doctor, is not for you at all. Well, I see. Like, I didn't see any of the Tenant ones and he's apparently the best. He's so. amazing. I mean, if you if I were you, I would spend between now and Doctor Who beginning watching the whole of the Tenth season. Well, funnily enough, we were going <laughs> to have a segment <laughs> right now where we talked about what we're watching. And one of the things I was going to mention is that I started watching Succession and I've decided this oh. morning, I've made the executive decision to watch no more of it because it's just making me miserable. Uh, no. Because I hate every person in it and I stuck with it for five episodes and just enough's enough. Do you know how weird that is? Because on my list is Succession. Yeah. Of my, one of my favourite things of the moment. Really? Yeah. I, I finished the whole thing. I, I think it's fantastic. But I think this is the problem here and this is why I don't watch Veep and this is why I have a problem with a lot of Iannucci shows is that I need to be able to root for someone oh, and yeah. everyone in it yeah, is an absolute care. cunt. I don't care. And I cannot, yeah. I cannot get the past the fact that there isn't a single redeeming human being yeah. in the entire I show. I like that about it. Yeah. And I just, I need someone to root for. Yeah. I need a person. I need oh, an avatar. I don't care. And I just I yeah. just thought, if I want to be surrounded by twats being twats, I'll just come to work. You know, it makes no it makes no sense. But, right, we were going to have a bit now where we were going to talk about what we're watching, but I have to leave in five minutes, so that's <laughs> oh, no. no longer going to happen. Can so. we just do one each? Go, what are you watching, Terry? So, I'm watching something called Reported Missing, right, which is an amazing documentary series on the BBC. <laughs> it's not in any way your stereotypical missing people's program. Missing people's program? I heartily recommend people watch it. Documentary series, I think we're four episodes in, or three episodes out of four. It's on iPlayer, reported missing. I endorse that heartily. It's an amazing show. Yeah. Okay, and boy, um, if you're going to talk about Succession, we're going to move on, but other than that... Succession, yeah, no, American <laughs> Vandal, Netflix, okay. season two. Even funnier, even sharper, even more amazing than season one. It's fantastic. Okay, and my only gem is to say, don't watch Succession. Or do watch Succession <sighs> if you're not me. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If, you know, if you like terrible human beings, then you will almost certainly like this as there are lots of them. So, but let's move on to the review section. The really um, short reviews. The really short reviews. <laughs> First up, we have a Swedish crime drama, Alex, uh, which I haven't seen. So, Boyd, you have 25 seconds okay. to tell people why they should watch All Alex. you need to know is this goes out on so we, on Wednesday nights on Channel 4 at about around 11 o'clock, 11.05. It's all about the most corrupt, coked up, fantastically over-the-top cop you've ever seen. He's completely corrupt. He accidentally kills his partner. This is all in kind of the first episode. This is the premise. Then he gets along with a new female partner who's partly kind of spying on him. It's a bit like Swedish Line of Duty, but even more ramped up. <laughs> I love it. And um, it's going to be on every week, every Wednesday on Channel 4, but it's also going to be all on uh, whatever, all four, whatever their portal is as well in one go. So they're doing that thing where it's available as a boxer and it's showing weekly, and it's really fun. Okay. And that is Alex. Alex. Uh, also starting this week is the latest season 
of Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story. This year's uh, instalment begins with a nuclear apocalypse, uh, where a handful of survivors are whisked away to a kind of an underground bunker, which is sort of run by a shadowy organisation called The Cooperative, which I can only assume is directly connected to the budget supermarket <laughs> brand. This is, Sarah Paulson is in charge as the creepy Ms. Venables and instructs them on the rules of the New World Order. As suffice to say that surviving the underworld doesn't really sound like a lot of fun. I have only watched one episode of American Horror Story before this. I watched the first episode of Murder House, thought it was good, but I found it a little bit upsetting, so I didn't watch any more. I have now watched two of this, and it's fucking demented, but strangely compelling. I loved this. So I'm not in a dissimilar place. I watched season one, all of it, and then dropped out and just felt too overwhelmed to mm. go back in. I watched this because I knew we'd be talking about it, the first two episodes. It is phenomenal. The first 10 minutes of the opening episode yeah. is so terrifying because it is, you know, the, the missiles are coming and it's so true to life. You yep. can almost imagine it happening tomorrow. It's kind of like a uh, more modern Deep Impact. There's a lot of a lot of scenes mirroring I was thinking 2012. scenes in Deep Impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it and it became more and more demented as it went on and I was fully on board. Sarah Paulson's amazing. There's some brilliant stuff about kind of influencers and social yep. media which some of the writing is phenomenal I am all in on American Horror and Story and Joan now. Collins is quoting <gasps> Dynasty literally <gasps> word for word in this which is extraordinary there's also Rubberman Returns. Rubberman Returns. So this is famously a mixture of, kind of a mixture of previous American horror stories. Yeah. Um, it hasn't, that hasn't fully evolved yet, but I've seen, we've seen, I've seen the first two. It, it, American horror has always been utterly ludicrous and silly, and the campus show on TV. This is unbelievably, extraordinarily, the campus version, <laughs> iteration yet, of American stories, even including the, the season with Lady Gaga, in which was just full of perverse sex of all kinds. Uh, as, and he ramps up the sex quite quickly in, in is it an episode two? It's all, it's all a blur. But yeah, it's oh, the yeah. campest thing you've ever seen. And I think in an enjoyably silly way. It's not scary in the slightest. <laughs> not he's yet. Now, but I think he's now dropped any attempt at trying to be scary. I don't think he gives a shit anymore. <laughs> I think it's all about making it absurd, yeah. fun, kind of like some kind of relief of Trump of the Trump period. That was definitely happening in the last season. I think he's yeah. doing it still now in this season. I did lap up every minute of it. Joan Collins, extraordinary scene. It's loads of fun. I'm, I'm going to persevere with this. I'm going to watch yeah. the rest of this. And then I may go watch and watch the others. So I think this is a good, uh, a good trailer for the it's show a as a whole. Well. Yeah. Loads and loads of fun. American Horror Story. And this Which is on Thursdays. Thursday on, on Fox. 10pm. At 10 o'clock. Make sure you watch that. And when was Alex on? I don't think we said. I did. It's oh, on did. Wednesdays. Channel oh, 4, Wednesday. okay. 11.05. Well, watch that as well. Yeah. Uh, and that is it for this week's podcast. Thanks to John Harris, our excellent producer, who will be cutting out all of the various things that we can't broadcast. Join us next week for more Gogglebox goodness uh, when we tackle another volley of new shows. And finally, probably get time to talk about what it is we are actually watching in more detail than we did this week. Until then, we'll be retreating to the pilot TV fallout bunker to wait out the coming storm. <laughs>